it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday and that you got to spend it just the way you want it. For some people, that's with family and friends. For others, it's peace and quiet by yourself. (laughs) So uh, however you uh, wanted to spend the holiday, I hope you got to do that. We, um, you know, because I was working today, so the afternoon, we kind of like wrapped things up and was like, I got to go because I have to to put together a radio show. And so so we did that. And my husband was on call in the morning. So we kind of didn't have a whole lot of, of room there. So we didn't do the family thing. We didn't travel. We stayed in town. Our little bar in town was open, um, but he doesn't advertise it. So like, if you know, you know. And so we went there and I'm sure we're all going to wind up at the flu after that. It's the only thing I could think of the whole time I was there. We're supposed to go to our neighbor's house, but they have the flu. So they sent all the food to our house. Just, I mean, not all of it, but they sent us enough for us. And and they're Italian. She sent over lobster tails and mussels and shrimp. But they didn't do the seven fishes because they were supposed to do Christmas Eve. So they did some and a calamari salad. So a lot of, uh, there was a lot of seafood, which was wonderful and amazing and awesome. But I felt so guilty. I was like, oh, I felt so bad they couldn't eat the food. And so we, we somehow, you know, we wound up with a good chunk of it and it felt a, a, a little guilty. And one of our neighbors had an open house. So that was, always, that's always a fun thing too. So, we, so we did that as well. So whatever it was that you, you did, I hope you got to um, celebrate the way you wanted. You know, we used to go into Manhattan on the regular. So my husband and I don't exchange gifts or like we've, we've never really done. It's always been like our thing. We used to exchange for Christmas. And then when you buy a house, <laughs> we, we exchange for Christmas, but with a $50 limit. <laughs> right. And now we don't exchange at all. What we did, we, we started doing is like, we're going to go into Manhattan. It's going to cost us more than the $50 limit. We're going to go into Manhattan. We're going to have an experience. It's just buying things. Let's have an experience. Let's make memories. So we would go to Mass at St. Patrick's. We would go and see the windows. Because Manhattan, I'll tell you what, Manhattan is dressed up for Christmas. It's truly magical. And we would always go to our favorite restaurant, go to head over to Patsy's, the, the, the restaurant, not the pizzeria, but the restaurant. And we'd always have a dinner there. And we'd always do it like the week before the week after Christmas when everything's all, all um, trimmed out. And I have to tell you, New York is such a dump now. We have not been back. We haven't done it in easily three years. We were in the city last summer for the Gracie Awards, and it was it was disgusting. I, I didn't recognize it at all. I used to wander in and out of Manhattan all the time, all the time, especially when, when I was working uh, full time more, more frequently at Fox. And I took would take the take the train in, have no problem, wander around. I take the, I get the one o'clock train. I'm walking streets down to Penn station at, you know, 1230 at night. No problem. Didn't worry about anything. I was afraid at one o'clock in the afternoon. So we don't do that anymore. 
<laughs> we have to make new traditions now because we're not doing that uh, anymore. All right. Um, coming up later this hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be joining us. He's a brand new grandpa. So I know that's what he did yesterday. But I'm sure he spent all his time with his new little grandson. Uh, but we're going to talk about 2024. Uh, some interesting things that have happened uh, in the Middle East regarding American troops, and we had some uh, servicemen who were injured, one of them critically. So we're going to discuss that with him and also some conversations on the border since he does live in Texas. But uh, I want to open up the phones to you, 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. And I want to talk to you about, I, I thought this was so interesting they did a poll and they basically found out that Americans are tired of Joe Biden living like a retiree. That's how they view him. That Americans now view Joe Biden living like a retiree. And and look, you look at Joe Biden and you see your grandpa, right? And people are like, oh, well, Trump's old too. But there's different type. People age differently, right? A lot of it, if you want to know how you're going to age, look at your parents, you know, pick your parents well. You can, you can live healthy. You can work out. Those all play into it. But ultimately, a lot of it is dictated by, you know, your parents and, and, and your genetics. But Joe Biden is an old 81. He just is. My parents are still, my parents are probably now, well, they're in their 90s. They're in their early 90s. So they're like 10 years older than Joe. But they're developmentally, like they're in their aging process now in their 90s where Joe is in his 80s. My in-laws are in their, you know, almost mid-90s. They're still driving and they're fine, like, because the kids will send somebody with them just to see how they're doing. And they're great. They can still, I mean, they can still function. My parents are giving up. My mother hasn't driven in years, nor should she. And my dad is voluntarily giving up his license. And we could talk about that because that was some, that was a discussion too we had um, over the holidays. But um, but we see Joe Biden. We look at him as a retiree. That's not a good look for a president. And Gen Z is particularly tuned into this. Monmouth University did a poll and they found that 61% of respondents disapprove of Joe Biden's job performance. Only 34%, only 34% approve. And um, one of a, a Gen Z who was on with Fox and Friends, her name is Kale Ogenbor, told them that it has been reported that over 40% of Joe Biden's presidency has been spent on vacation. And I think a lot of Americans, including Gen Z, don't want a president who seems like he's more retired than he is, you know, being president. Like he's retired for the next four years. That's how he's looking at this whole thing. That, yeah, I'm just retired for the next four years. They see how many countless pictures do we see of Joe Biden on the beach in Delaware all summer, right? Countless pictures of that. It's not a good look, but they kept putting it out there with aviator glasses. And I think it was a miscalculation on their part that they look at Joe Biden, his people, his handlers, and look at Joe on the beach without a shirt on. And he looks great. And he's walking in the sand and he's wearing his aviators. And isn't he cool? And it didn't come off as cool at all. It just didn't. And that's a problem. Axios reported earlier this year that Biden only works on average 30 hours a week. And again, he was spending most of his weekends on the beach in Delaware. And that visual was put out there by his team. 
White House aides have reportedly said that scheduling public or private events with Biden at certain times of the day is really hard because he doesn't start his day until 10 a.m. and ends it at 4 p.m. So there's not a big window there. Now, and I'm not shilling for Trump here, but in contrast to Trump, who is up early, he's on the go all the time. Again, people age differently and in in different capacities, different things go. Like my mom can't hear anything, which is one of the reasons she's not driving and hasn't driven in a while, right? She can't hear anything. And both my parents have macular degeneration. And my mom has a kind you can't treat, so she's almost blind. And my dad has a kind you can treat, but, you know, they're finally giving up the license voluntarily. They live in a community you know, they have their own place, but if they, it's a progressive. So if they have to move into kind of some kind of assisted living, they can, but because there's a bus that takes them everywhere. My dad's finally like, yeah, I'm giving up the license. And we thought for sure it was going to be a fight. We're like, oh, he's been leasing a car year to year, which is good. It's first step. But we thought for sure it was going to be a battle and it hasn't been a battle. So we were pleasantly surprised, but Again, my parents in their early 90s are functioning at a level that Joe Biden is mentally anyway, and and physically in a lot of ways. I mean, my mom is still, you know, still Sprite, still running around, no mobility issues at all. My dad doesn't have any mobility issues at all. They're still, you know, they're fine. If you didn't know that my mom can't hear you, you know, you wouldn't know that just by looking at her. Um, And those are things you can make up for, right? If you want to jump in, 866-408-7669. So they're, they're, having, they're scheduling public or private events with Biden for only between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. Another Gen Z voter, Ryan Edwards, said, I think he just lacks the cognitive ability to lead the country. I feel that over the last four years, we have seen a constant decline in his true ability in leading America. And I think in order to lead the free world, to lead America, you must make hard and complex decisions in the blink of an eye. And I don't think we have that in Biden. Now, remember, if you're on any social media, the Democrats have their paid shills out there, the paid millennials, the paid Gen Zers. I'm Gen Z and I'm voting Biden. And they're out there and they're hammering it over and over and over again, which is where the Democrats are very smart and the Republicans aren't so smart. Uh, but they're like, yeah, I'm Gen Z, I'm voting Biden. And they've got them out there doing that. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I'm curious, you know, if you want to jump in, did, do you, do you agree with this? Do you think this is the case? Do you agree with the Gen Z that Joe Biden is leading a retiree lifestyle while he's the president of the United States? Maybe you had some conversations yesterday, the day before, you know, over the holidays, maybe over Hanukkah, Thanksgiving. With some younger people, and I'm curious to see what their take on everything was. Very curious to see if they're souring on Biden. Are they still Biden all the way? Are they hoping someone else will jump in? Young men, young men, high school and college age, becoming more conservative and moving over to Trump. So Biden has a six-hour window in his day. He barely holds any press conferences, and when he does... He calls out the name of the person. He already knows what the question is, and he reads the answer that someone wrote for him from a card. It's hardly a press conference. He does not attend a lot of events. And when he does actually have a press conference, he sometimes strays from the card and he screws it up. And then they have to issue back. They have to backtrack and, you know, clarify what he really meant, et cetera. And then you have the physical um, instances with Biden 
falling off the bike, tripping across the stage. You know, fall, they, they, they've, they've got to use the, the short stairs on Air Force One because they can't walk up the big stairs. They've got them in special, you know, comfy shoes, which I don't mind the shoe thing. I don't care. Be comfortable. I think I, I, I'm with everybody on that one. Be comfortable. That doesn't bother me. If it makes it easy for them, God bless them. That's fine. 866-408-7669 is my number. I will get to your calls coming up. I'm Mary Walter on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. One of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am also concerned about that. I wonder who thinks this is a good idea, who is trying to pass this off as believable. I hope that Gen Z uh, doesn't fall for this trap. For example, the Biden administration tried to pass out free student loan debt cancellation just to appease our generation. So hopefully people my age don't fall for this trap pushed by Joe Biden or whoever is actually in charge. And that was Kale Ogenbohr. Uh, on Fox and Friends talking about uh, Gen Z. Looking at Joe Biden and their opinions have changed a little bit uh, with what he was, what they thought of him last time around, what they think of him this time around, saying he's on vacation all the time. Perpetual vacation. Well, actually, well, retiree. They view him as a retiree. You know, your grandpa. And that's okay. Grandpa's lovable. But not all grandpas uh, can run the country. They just don't have the ability. 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Steve on Long Island wants to jump in here. Steve, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Good morning, Mary. Uh, I prefer not to give Biden the excuse of diminishing mental acuity. Rather, I look at him for his policies that have been pushed out, and I liken him to uh, Vinny the Chin Gigante, who was the head of a New York uh, mafia family who feigned Alzheimer's for years until he finally got convicted in court. He used to walk around in his bathrobe. Absolutely pushed in a wheelchair, make yep. it look good. But so, but here's the thing, like, though, you have to admit, I think we do, I mean, I think you can agree with me, that we all, everyone ages differently. Some people, they go physically, but mentally, they're still sharp as a tack. My, my husband's great aunt, his grandmother and his two aunts, uh, lived into their hundreds. The old, the last one to die was 107. But those three women in their 90s and into their early hundreds were doing the New York Times crossword puzzle together. So physically, they had deteriorated. They couldn't really move around much, and they needed help. But mentally, man, they could run circles around you. Absolutely. I mean, my mother's 89 and sharp as a tack, but she does have medical uh, issues as far as uh, physical. Uh, I I just, you know, the bottom line is his policies are what they are, and I look at them as killing the United States. But 
you know, don't be because the next thing you'll do is you'll try to put Trump into the same mental acuity example because of age. And it's not that his policies, Biden's policies were created. They've been uh, pushed out and to, I believe, our detriment. But people are trying to give him an excuse and it's just I don't I don't want to buy it. I want to liken it to hey, it's his policies. He surround himself with people to carry him out, and don't give him a break. I mean, right. it's it is what it is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he has to be held accountable, and these are his policies. And uh, I think Gen Z is just looking at it though age wise. I think that's just how they're looking at it. Whereas I think if. You know, if if you're a little bit further along and you're paying the taxes, although they're the ones who are going to be trying to buy houses soon, uh, you look at that and it is they are his policies and he needs to be held accountable. And as far as comparing him to Trump, they've tried that, but it just doesn't fly. There's no comparison. It just doesn't work. And I think they've kind of given up on that somewhat because, yes, Trump is old as well. I mean, he's he's like 70. What is he? 77. Uh, so he he's not he's not obviously as old as Biden. And I'll tell you. And thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate the conversation. And I hope you have a wonderful new year. A very blessed. Lots of blessings in 2024 for you. Uh, he, he, there's there's a there's a big difference, just like there's a big difference between 17 and, you know, 23. There's a big difference between 77 and 83. There are certain times in your life where at least for me, I look at it and I, and, and they're worlds apart. You only may only be five years apart age-wise or eight years apart age-wise, but developmentally, you're very different and physically too, right? There's a big difference between a 16-year-old boy and a 23-year-old boy, right? Because he's a man at 23. It's, it's a huge difference. So, so I think when you get older though, there's that same period of time where there's a big difference between someone who is 75 and someone who's 85 health-wise for the most part. Are there outliers? Yeah, 100%. Of, of course there are. There are people who, you know, are super agers and there are, and you don't, you just don't know. So I just don't want to fall into that trap of saying that age equals mental ability because I don't think it does. But to Steve's point, we got to hold them accountable for the policies. And to Gen Z's point, perception is reality for a lot of people, right? And the perception is that Joe Biden is perpetually on vacation. He's never out there. He doesn't attend events. He never gives a press conference. And when he does, he stands there and reads a card that someone else wrote the, the answers to, right? Right on there for him. So there's, there's that, um, that perception. That's a problem for them. All right, coming up, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be joining us. Lots to talk about the border 2024 and what is happening in the Middle East. All coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. By the way, if, if you do not follow me on Twitter, could you do me a favor? Could you go to Twitter and look for me just, just because I, I was told you can't find me in the search, like, and I don't know why. Just look for Mary Walter, no S. 
or Mary, and if you or search on Mary Walter Radio, all one word, no S, Mary Walter Radio. Just curious if you, if you can find me or not. You can give us a call, 866-408-7669. Very upset about the whole thing. This guy, though, you can find everywhere. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West joining us. You can find him at Allen West, A-L-L-E-N West, right on Twitter. He pops right up. He's an American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director, former congressman uh, from Florida, and, of course, he has many, many books out. He is a prolific author, so you can find them at your bookstore, your local bookstore, and also on Amazon. Alan, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the show, sir. Merry Christmas, Mary. I pray you had a great Christmas with you and your family. And Merry Christmas to everyone out there listening. Yes, and congratulations. I'm sure you had a very special Christmas because you have a brand new grandchild. And this was the first yeah. Christmas with your brand new grandchild. So I'm sure I was thinking about you because I'm like, oh, I get to talk to him tomorrow and he's having the best day today. <laughs> yeah, it was a real blessing. You know, uh, our youngest grandson, Levi Allen, was born uh, premature t- at 29 weeks. And uh, we were just praying that he would be able to get home in time and then be able to spend Christmas with us. And so he was finally released from the hospital. He was born the 12th of October, released from the hospital uh, about the first week of December. And, uh, yep, he was here yesterday for his first Christmas, and uh, we got him a little Santa Claus suit, you know, a little preemie Santa Claus suit, and he was just a doll. Yeah, that was so. I know that was a very special, memorable Christmas for for you, and and I'm glad that he he was home. All right, let's let's jump into this. Uh, some news that yeah. we woke up to this morning that um, there were terrorist uh, strikes on uh, U.S. Uh, servicemen, and we have three military, American mm-hmm. military personnel injured in the attack by um, an offshoot of Hezbollah, Kataib Hezbollah terrorists in Iraq on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. One service member was critically wounded. This has been going on for a while, though. Iraq has been firing at Amer- uh, service bases, at American uh, men and women, uh, in on bases. We've had over 100 attacks so far. What is the Biden administration doing to stop this? Well, there have been some uh, attacks going back against warehouse facilities and storage facilities and ammunition dumps, things of this nature. But there really has not been a wholehearted and concerted attack against these Islamic terrorist groups that are backed by Iran. They are proxy groups. We know that before Christmas happened, we saw the leader of the Houthi rebels, you know, come on television and say that they would intensify attacks against Americans if we responded. And they only do this type of thing because they sense uh, weakness. They sense uh, a lack of resolve from this Biden administration. And again, I want to go back and remind people that it was in October of 1983, 40 years ago, that Hezbollah was responsible for at the time, the greatest loss of life of American troops uh, due to Islamic terrorist attack, and that was the Beirut barracks bombing. So here we are 40 years later, and we're still dealing with Hezbollah, an offshoot of Hezbollah, but basically Iranian-backed proxy uh, terrorist organizations. And so we need to make sure that we are striking back at their capability and capacity. Uh, and also look at the shipping lanes there in the Red yeah. Sea and the Suez Canal that have been shut down because of the Houthis, and that's going to cause a supply chain issue. So if there is something that we can rally the world to, it should be able to, with U.S. leadership, against these uh, Islamic terrorist organizations. 
It seems to me as if we are on the brink of just a huge war breaking out in the Middle East, and it is it is Iran that is trying to make this happen. I think they see a window here. They see a weak U.S. leader, whereas, and I, I could be wrong, and maybe it's because I'm a Trump fan, I just don't think this would be happening under Donald Trump. I think the first, the first attack would have been met with some kind of response that would have put them in their place to let them know we mean business, but when that didn't, happen, I think they're emboldened. And again, I'm not a strategist, Mm -hmm. but it seems to me as if Donald Trump knew how to handle this, whereas Joe Biden just doesn't seem to have any kind of policy. Maybe it's not Joe Biden's policy. Uh, Maybe it's Lloyd Austin's policy. Maybe it's somebody else who's in charge of this. Who's supposed to be making these calls? Well, it's supposed to be the president, the commander in chief making these calls. But unfortunately, I don't think that Joe Biden is in charge. I think that Barack Obama still has a a big hand in the foreign policy of this Biden administration. I think it's a continuation of Obama's policy in, you know, coddling, you know, organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood chumming up to Iran. But the thing is, if you ever read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, uh, I mean, it really talks about how you can defeat your enemy before you even fire the first shot. And if you go back to the Trump administration, remember when he said he was going to move the embassy, the the U.S. U.S. Embassy from yes. Tel Aviv up to Jerusalem and all of these threats came out. Nothing nothing came of it because he had defeated that enemy before they even thought about firing the first shot because they knew that there would be retribution for any type of attacks. And so when you have a Biden administration comes in, they want to bring back the Iranian uh, nuclear agreement, a Biden administration that uh, sent $6 billion over to Iran, just the same as Barack Obama sent palletized cash mm-hmm. in a, a marked planes in the middle of the night to Iran. You know, Iran was on the brink of collapse. We had, you know, really enforced the sanctions against them very harshly. Uh, that has not been the case with the uh, Biden administration. So now they're flush with oil revenues, which means Hezbollah and Hamas are flush with revenues to go out and do what they're doing. So it's all these things, policy-wise, all these things that have enabled them to go and do what they did. And yes, I think that's part of what happened on October the 7th with Hamas attacking Israel because they had been rearmed and refurbished and also they saw a sense of weakness in this current administration. And there's a window of opportunity, Mary, because they see this as, you know, this final year. And if America were to pull their head out of their you-know-what and maybe get a different person in the White House, they want to make as many advances as they possibly can. Right, right. That's why. That's why I think um, we're seeing a lot of things happen, and we're going to get to the border with you mm-hmm. in just a couple seconds here. But um, the other news that came out, and of course it, ha- it comes out of, on a holiday weekend, of course. But according to NBC, there was a phone call on January 27th between Biden's top military advisor, General Mark Milley. We all know that name, and the NORAD chief, General Glenn Van Herc. And um, this apparently was regarding the Chinese spy balloon. Now, during mm-hmm. this phone call on January 27th, Millie called Van Herc and said the Pentagon planned to send up F-22 jets and other aircraft to, to, to gauge the characteristics of the balloon. But Biden was not briefed on the balloon until February 1st, as this thing's flying across the country. And we did not hear about it until the second when NBC broke the story. But they were apparently trying to keep this quiet 
Uh, now, a senior Biden administration official is denying this, but NBC is reporting this. So this is not, yeah. you know, this is not, you know, some wild right wing conspiracy theory. This is coming from NBC that apparently the administration and the military wanted to keep this quiet from the American people. Why would they want to do that? Well, there there are two things, I think. First and foremost, they maybe wanted to keep it quiet from the American people because they didn't want the American people to understand and realize how weak and exposed we were. And the fact that we had a Chinese spy balloon that had entered uh, United States airspace and was hovering over uh, some of our strategic military installations. And I think the other thing is politically – uh, I don't know if they trusted Joe Biden with this information to be able to make a, a good and proper decision. And and now, why do you think NBC is releasing all this? I think this is part of the undermining of Joe Biden going forward. They they, oh. they have to look at a way. Yeah, they've got to look at a way by which they uh, say that you know Joe, you know you're you're a good guy and everything, but and you you got us uh, past Donald Trump, but you can't take us forward. And so I, I just think that this thing with the Democrats politically can can go all the way up to their convention where they have the super delegates and they can bring someone else in and, and get rid of Joe Biden. They don't want to have the immediate panic attack, but they're going to do a lot of drip, drip, dripping on Joe Biden to undermine him and, and Kamala Harris also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got to get rid of her, too. So b- before we go to break here, and I know you've been so kind to say that you will stay for two breaks. And I appreciate yeah. that because I do want to get to the border. But I just want you to listen quickly to John Kirby. This is cut for Eric. This is December yeah. 21st. John Kirby was asked about Joe Biden's foreign policy achievement of the year. Listen to this. What would the president say is his foreign policy achievement of the year? This answer could go on for like 20 minutes, but I mean, from the Indo-Pacific and the Quad and AUKUS deal to get Australia nuclear-powered submarine capability to what we've done with supporting Ukraine, pushing back. They've clawed back more than 50 percent uh, of the territory that Russia took uh, in the early months of the war. You think they, you know, they, obviously they did that through courage and bravery on the field, but they certainly did that with United States support. Look at what Israel's been able to do to put pressure on Hamas in the wake of the, the worst terrorist attack they, that they've ever, uh, that they've ever uh, succumbed to. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. There, there has been, I think if I had to bucket it into one thing, one of the most important things he's done on the foreign policy front is shore up and revitalize our vast network of alliances and partnerships. Hmm. So what kind of, do, you, do you agree with him? That's what he's done. He's shored up our alliances. That's his, that's his biggest accomplishment. No, I, I got to tell you, John Kirby still is an embarrassment to, to us who, who have worn the uniform. Him being a, a rear admiral in the Navy, I don't know how that happened. That was a lot of spin. First and foremost, I would have come back if I was a, a reporter there in the White House uh, correspondence room. I would say, but don't you think that his weak foreign policy is the reason why Russia invaded Ukraine or uh, what Hamas did? I mean, don't you think that his foreign policy decisions to, you know, ease up sanctions on Iran and send them, uh, you know, support? So, again, I think that you have to look at his policies overall, and we're in a weaker position. And this goes all the way back to Afghanistan. Uh, that Afghanistan withdrawal, that debacle, really showed people that, you know, this is an administration you could take advantage of. So, no, there are no foreign policy uh, successes for the Biden administration. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think so. And we we knew that when he was coming in, that he was always on the worst side of every, the wrong side of every policy, dis, uh, foreign yeah. policy decision, uh, ever made. All right, we've got more coming up with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West lives in Texas. We're going to talk about the border. That's next on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. I'll be with you tomorrow as well. And with us is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West taking some time out after the holiday to join us. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. So you're on the border, sir. And um, we now know that Joe Biden has realized, or somebody's told him, that the border's problem, not having a border, is apparently not a really good optic for uh, him in a election in an election year. And so now he is apparently conducting emergency border negotiations with the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, also known as AMLO. I would think that um, he would have no problem closing the border at this point because they got in the number of people they wanted to get in. They wanted to flood the country with bodies so that they could be counted in the census as all these blue states lose population. They flood them, Mm -hmm. you know, flood the country with other bodies so that they can get their power back. At least that's what I think it is. Why now? Is it just because of the election? Is that the only reason this is happening now? Well, absolutely right. Everything that the Democrats do, Joe Biden, his administration, that they do is a political calculation to include, you know, trying to put a little bit of pressure on Israel to, you know, ease back on Hamas because of the uh, the loss of support they see with young people, especially up in Michigan. So I don't understand why you're going to talk to the Mexican president about protecting and, and uh, securing your own sovereignty and your own border. Uh, and and when I look, go back and think about what Admiral Kirby just, you know, talked about. This is another of the foreign policy debacles of the uh, Biden administration. Over 160 different countries have allowed illegals to uh, to flood into our country. Tens uh, of, well, millions of single military-aged males, gotaways. We have no idea. The drug trafficking crisis, the human and sex trafficking crisis, and now we hear we have a health care crisis with tuberculosis and syphilis that is coming into the United States of America. And this has all been on Joe Biden's watch. But you continue to hear Alexander Mayorkas and Karine Jean-Pierre say that the border is fine and that the Republicans are the reason why the border is, is falling apart because they don't want to agree to comprehensive border reform or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, yes, Joe Biden is going to try to clean this thing up, but still you have tens of millions now uh, illegal immigrants in the United States of America. Look at Chicago and look at the black communities there pushing back or some of these other communities. Uh, But this has been a political calculation, and we know that uh, they want illegals to vote in local municipal level elections, which means that somehow they'll be voting in the 2024 national election. You mentioned Chicago. Uh, This is Cut 17, Eric. This is Mayor Brandon Johnson from Chicago, which these people Mm -hmm. elected. They voted for this man who's more to the left than Lori Lightfoot. Here's here's how he's uh, spinning it. We have a governor, a governor, an elected official in the state of Texas that is placing families on buses without shoes, cold, wet, tired, hungry, afraid, traumatized, and then they come to the city of Chicago where we have homelessness, we have mental health clinics that have been shut down and closed. 
You have people who are seeking employment. The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. This is not just a Chicago dynamic. He is attacking our country. So it's, it's, it's not the Democrats' fault for the open border. Texas should just keep yeah. all of these people there. How dare you send them to, the, to sanctuary cities? <laughs> well, you know, and, and I will say shame on Greg Abbott because he thinks that this is a cute political stunt. But when you understand the Democrats, they're always going to turn something against you. They're never going to take responsibility. They're not, never going to put the blame on Joe Biden. So what you know, Governor Abbott should have done from the very beginning is to say that we're going to stand up. I know that he recently just signed the, the three uh, pieces of uh, bills into law, but they don't take effect until March the 1st. But he should have been doing what was necessary to protect the sovereignty of the state of Texas and in turn protect the sovereignty of the United States of America and send people back across the border out of Texas. But what he is really doing is aiding and abetting human trafficking uh, and allowing this talking point from people like Brandon Johnson and uh, many other, uh, Eric uh, Adams in New York and, and uh, even Gavin Newsom and the folks out in California. So the, the right thing to do is stand by the rule of law, Mary, and, and stand by the Constitution and do what it states. And if the federal government is not upholding their part of the bargain, the guarantee clause of Article 4, Section 4, then states have every right to do what is necessary to protect themselves from invasion. Article 1, Section 10, Clause number 3, and that's what uh, Texas and Governor Abbott should have been doing a long time ago, as soon as Joe Biden mm-hmm. came in and said he was going to institute an open borders policy. We have less than a minute here, but so the only thing I want to say is yeah. those people who were standing up in those meetings in Chicago, and there was one man who said, we need Trump to get back in here and clean this mess up. Mm-hmm. This mess isn't going to be able to clean it, be cleaned up. These people are here to stay. They're never leaving they're going to commit crimes we're not going to be able to deport them but what kills me is they keep voting for this stuff and i kind of at this point just don't feel sorry for them anymore all right we got to run uh lieutenant colonel alan west thank you so much have a blessed new year and a hug on that little boy levi for all of us thank you so much for joining us on the brian kill show thank you mary News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. And welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, that gentleman is correct. I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. And I'll be with you tomorrow as well. Lots to talk about. You know you're always welcome to join in anytime, anywhere along the line. 866-408-7669. I'll get your calls as soon as I possibly can. Also, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. There's no S in that. Although... I have been told that if you type in my name in the search bar or you type in Mary Walter Radio in the search bar, it doesn't come up. It doesn't autofill. It doesn't come up. Um, And if you have that experience, please give us a call. Let me know that because I was told just stay off Twitter for a couple of days. So I've been staying off Twitter. I I don't know. Supposedly that fixes it. I have no idea because you you know, you can't get a hold of anybody at Twitter to fix anything. So Uh, 866-408-7669. 
Our next guest here, Bethany Mandel, she wrote a book with Carol Markowitz called Stolen Youth. This is so important right now. Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Something that our eyes were open to during COVID, and I have so many questions. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at Bethany Sean Dark, S-H-O-N-D-A-R-K. Bethany, thank you for taking the time to join me this morning. I love this topic. Thank you. I do, too. I I could write a whole book about it, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bummed. She's here all week. <laughs> if you're I am. Really uh, what, am. One of the things we were really seeing this in this indoctrination that is so shocking to me is a Harvard uh, Caps Harris poll found that two-thirds of voters between the ages of 18 and 24 when it comes to Israel and Hamas, believe that Jews are the oppressors and should be treated that way. 73% now of all voters think that that's false. But this younger cohort, 18 to 24, believe that is that um, Hamas is the victim in all of this and that the Jews are the oppressors. And they know nothing about the Holocaust. They know nothing about the history of the Jews in the world. And to me, this is at, was so shocking when I saw this. What happened? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a confluence of things. There is the TikTok influence, which really cannot be understated, and not just TikTok, but also Instagram. Um, but we have we have a foreign state. We have China trying to foment ignorance and anger and hatred, and they're they're very successful. Um, I don't understand why the American government have not taken forceful action against TikTok here in the United States. It's long overdue. Um, but we also have a generation of, I'm like, sorry to say, stupid people teaching our children. And those stupid people have decided to put all of, all of human existence and all of history, everything, through the lens of oppressor and oppressed. And they have decided that Jews are white and wealthy and oppressors. And they are completely ignorant of what life is like in Israel and also in in Gaza. Um, And I would just, I would love to sponsor trips for all of these influencers to Gaza and, you know, wave your rainbow flag and see how it goes. Um, And then do the same in Tel, well, actually do it in Tel Aviv first because you won't survive doing it in Gaza City. Um, But, I mean, it's it's just a level of anger and hatred and ignorance um, that is really terrifying. And this is the next generation, and they are um, they are going to you know run the State Department. A lot of them already do, um, and it's not going to turn out well. You, you know, it's interesting you say that. You know, I want to send them there. We've I've always said there should be a reality show where you send these young people <laughs> to the socialist country of of their choice, like Venezuela, wherever it happens to yep. be, and and give them give them six months and see and keep coming back and checking in to see how they're doing. Yeah, but they don't want to know. When you yeah. come right down to it, they don't want to know because it seems to me as if the worst thing and the, there's no cure. All right, two things. There's there's no. Um, intellectual curiosity whatsoever. Zero. Yeah. None. Yep. They've been yep. taught that their feelings are facts. So the worst thing in the world for them in their world that they can possibly imagine is having their feelings challenged. They melt down. They can't handle mm-hmm. it. If you challenge their feelings with facts, they lose it. Yeah. So I don't so think you could you could do it. Yeah. I So I was progressive in high school. I went to a high school that did... Um, 
sort of class trips to Cuba when there was still an embargo and they illegally broke the embargo. Um, you could not get crazier than the high school I went to on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I went to City College, which is another crazy place. And I took a class um, called The Politics of Protest. And the the point of the class was to write a, a 35-page paper about a protest movement. And I decided to write my paper about the Intifada and about how the Intifada was a protest movement. And so I, I read everything I could about the conflict, and I was shook to my core. And at the end of it, because, I mean, it was a little bit of a stretch, but I had spent the entire semester researching Israel and Palestine, so I couldn't really switch gears <laughs> in, like, May when the paper was due in June. Right. Um, but the end paper that I turned in was that um, was that Zionism was a protest movement um, because I had done a complete 180 over the course of that semester. Um, and that's really, honestly, that's all it takes is to read about the conflict, to read about the many times that Palestinians have been offered a state. Um, you know, one of the heroes, I think, of the last, two and a half months has been Hillary Clinton. And it's because right? she watched Bill. She watched Bill get red-pilled by Arafat. They offered the Palestinians everything they wanted. And they turned around and started the Intifada. And when you hear all of these people screaming, globalize the Intifada, what they're screaming for is the mass murder of Jews. That's what the Intifada was. And, you know, all you need to know is just the basic history for you to be red-pilled about the conflict. It's so fright. It's frightening to me because I, in the last what two months, I've agreed with Hillary Clinton and John Fetterman. It is turning my world upside down. I know, I know. It's really. I mean, Fetterman has been kind of a hero on several things, but especially. So I was, um, I was on Capitol Hill with families of hostages and also people who survived um, on 10-7 in Kafaraza, which was one of the hardest hit kibbutzes. And I was with a, I was with um, a survivor of, uh, from Kafaraza walking through the halls. And when she saw all of the hostage posters outside of Fetterman's office, she cried. And she stood there and she pointed to, this is my daughter's babysitter. This is my neighbor. This is my, oh my, my best friend's son. And, she stood there doing this, and one of Fetterman's employees, like one of his staffers, came out and stood there with her and cried with her. So it's not just Fetterman who I'm going to give like the kudos to, but also his staff have been incredible. And and they're young. The staffers are yeah. young people. Yep. So there, there's got to be some kind of some kind of uh, awakening, some kind of knowledge happening. Is this though what? what really drives the the Democrat Party apart, and I know the book is really about the kids, but it really comes down to that because they've yeah. really counted on the young people who, not it's not their fault, they have been indoctrinated from a very young age, they've been kept purposely ignorant uh, on a lot of things so that they can be indoctrinated. But I wonder if this is the thing, though, that really drives that wedge. There are so many Jews who live in this country, although shockingly, most of them are very, very liberal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I count a lot of them as my friends and my family. And I think it's been very difficult emotionally and, and intellectually as well to watch this bifurcation of their party. Um and it's I mean, I, I understand it also. I mean, the, the right isn't perfect either on this issue. It's been very disappointing seeing Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens. So I, I get their their discomfort with it. But um, but there is a real fundamental problem on the left 
um, that is is very um, disheartening for people who consider themselves to be Zionist and not just Jews, um, because it's very easy to see who is right and who is wrong in this conflict. Um, the people who will go into a home and shoot a baby in its crib are the bad guys unequivocally. Um, and I think it's hard for folks on the left um, in many different areas to say there is a fight between good versus evil um, and there are clear lines. Um, but I, I, I think that um, I think that we're, we're witnessing a real moment for the Democratic Party, um, because there's a lot of people who are disheartened on both sides. Um, there's a movement of Muslim Americans who are saying, I'm not going to vote for Biden um, because of his pro-Israel stance. So right. I, it, it's, it's a pretty interesting time. It really, truly is. And this book is so timely. Uh, kudos to you and Carol Markowitz for for seeing this on the horizon. And I know this this had to have been written before 10-7, um, yeah. right? And, and and then that happened. So you guys had the foresight to see this coming and, and a lot a lot of credit to the both of you. And I know you go into, and we don't, we're not going to have time to get to it, but there's, again, so much in this that we can talk about. It's, it's really a must read if you're a parent, especially if you have younger children or if your kids have been programmed um <laughs> this this could be a little bit of a self-help book but homeschooling more and more people are homeschooling the advantages mm-hmm. of homeschooling so, um so there's there's a lot to talk about in here also i would assume you know with 2024 coming up there's a lot of parents who want to just you know rip their hair out with their young kids because yeah. the younger they are the more indoctrinated they've been and yeah. they're really tiny little warriors and yeah. um you can't talk to them yeah, no, it's it's terrifying. I mean, we wrote it because we saw it happening in our own families. Carol has three children and I have six. And we felt like, you know, every time we turned around, every time we opened a book, every time we went to the library, every time we turned on the television, every time her children went to school. I'm having the issue, by the way, in homeschooling circles as well. There is a wokeness problem within the homeschool community that folks aren't talking about. And it's hard to discern what is and isn't okay um, until you actually buy the curriculum and you get it in front of you. Um, so all of these issues, it's just, it's just everywhere. And, um, and it's manifest. These issues are manifesting in, in polls like you see in Israel and Palestine, but, um, but it's truly, um, it's, it's a suffocating experience feeling like all you want to do is raise happy, resilient children who have a basic understanding of math, science, history, and, you know, can read. <laughs> um, right. Because for every minute that they're spending on indoctrination, they're not spending on math. They're not spending right. on literacy. And you see it reflected in the test scores. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, Bethany Mandel, she uh, wrote the book, uh, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. She wrote that with Carol Markowitz. And again, if you have kids, this is a must read for you. Uh, I think it'll really help you out. Thank you so much. It's available in your local bookstores. It's available on Amazon as well. Uh, Thank you so much, Bethany. Really appreciate it. Have a wonderful 2024. Thank you. Same to you. Absolutely. Thank you. 866-408-7669. Let's talk about it, especially you're with the kids. You maybe have some college age kids who have come home. Let's talk about what we're seeing in your kids, because there's so much more to this that I want to bring in that we're seeing in some of the older cohort, the 30s, the mid 30s, uh, older 30s, 38 years old, that they're waking up to some of this stuff. And it's tough for them. This is really hard. We've done our kids a disservice. And I want to get your opinion on all of this. 866 866- Four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmead. Expanding your knowledge base. 
It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. The number is 866-408-7669. And I want to talk about, we were we were just speaking with uh, Bethany Mandel, who's the co-author of Stolen Youth. She wrote it with Carol Markowitz. And it, it's about an entire generation that hasn't been educated. They've been indoctrinated. And we've... We, that was the gift of COVID. We got to see that parents started paying attention to what their kids were learning in school. And and they would come home from college and the parents would be like, wait, who are you? What happened? Right. And they didn't realize that their kids were being indoctrinated in younger grades. And this is going all the way down to preschool. And so there's a couple of things that I, I want to talk to you about regarding that. And I'd love to get your thoughts on what you've seen maybe with your kids, your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, etc. 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. Because while I do think a majority of generation, generation and a half have been very indoctrinated and are very, very liberal and their facts are feelings. And if you ever watch any of the reality shows, so I watch Married at First Sight and every now and then I bop in and out, but not so much to um, Teen Mom, but... You, you watch these shows and they talk about, I understand you're standing in, you're standing in your truth and I respect that. I'm like, who talks to each other like that? Who does that? They all sound like they're in a therapy session every time because most of them are in therapy when they talk to each other. Um, so I'm just curious what your observations are, because I do think that to some extent, the pendulum is starting to swing back the other way. And on the other side of the break, I'll share some of that with you. Um, from a woman who was on Fox and who shared that she's 38 years old and um, realized, wait a minute, a lot of what they taught us isn't true. Like now it's hitting her. But you you have these kids. You've got kids now who um, had student loans, right? And they, they, listen, I don't blame them for what happened with the student loan. Part of me blames you like, look, you signed a contract and you chose a major that you could never get a job in. That was your choice, right? That was on you. So now that you can't get a job in underwater basket weaving, I'm really super sorry, but that was your choice. No, it's your passion, but now you got to pay it back. Um, they were never taught, though, that you know you do what you have to do to pay the bills. So if you have more than one job, well, welcome to your 20s. Most people in their 20s have more than one job. When my husband and I first got married, I was almost 30 years old. Between the two of us, at one point in our lives, we had five jobs between two people five jobs. But we did what we had to do in order to not only pay the rent because we were renting, we were renting till I was almost 40, you know, to, to pay the rent, but also to pay back student loans, which I had to do to pay car notes, which we had to do. And to also at the same time, put some money away. We didn't own a couch. We didn't own a couch until we were in our mid forties. All right. We sat on the floor <laughs> to eat dinner in front of the TV. But those are the things that we did in order to save up money so that we could have a nest egg so we could buy a house. We had our house for a long time and didn't have a couch. Mm -hmm. But but that's what we did. You know, friends came over, we had folding chairs. We had other chairs, you know, that were all hand-me-downs from family that didn't want stuff anymore. So we took a liking to antiques and everybody gives you their stuff. That's a great way to furnish a house. Antiques that nobody else wants. It's fantastic. 
866-408-7669. But you have these kids who have borrowed money to go to college. Now they've had to start repaying. They got almost three years of a reprieve because of COVID. Now the responsible kid, the kid who's been trained well, has been taught fiscal responsibility, would be putting money away so that when the bills come due again, when you have to start paying off your student loan, you can pay off a huge chunk of it and not be paying as much in interest. But apparently a lot of them didn't do that. We heard stories where they were buying cars and they were buying houses and they were doing all these things. 40% of the 22 million borrowers who had bills that were supposed to start repaying them at the beginning of October haven't made a payment yet. They're just not paying it. And the attitude is, well, who cares? I'm never going to have enough money to own a house anyway. So that's why you're not going to repay your debt? So there's a lot going on here, and I want to get your input on this and what you're seeing with your friends, your family. 866-408-7669. And um, is this all going to straighten itself out? What do you think? I'm Mary Walter. Your call's next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669 is the number. We were just speaking with Bethany Mandel, who wrote Stolen Youth with Carol Markowitz. And it's about the indoctrination of now basically a generation and a half and how parents and Americans in general, we had no idea. We just knew our kids were coming back from college and they were really weird and, you know, we're super liberal and we're like, oh, it's a phase. But it turns out it's happening at younger and younger and younger. And just this one example of millions of kids who have uh, college loans that are due. And they had a, almost a three-year reprieve. So I worked it out because the average loan is about $250. And they didn't pay it for three years. Had they put that money away every month, they would have $9,000 in the bank. So paying it back wouldn't be that big of a deal. But a lot of them did go out, buy cars, buy do other things instead of putting the money away. Because now I don't have to pay this loan. And I don't know, whose job is it to teach fiscal responsibility? Is it the parent's job? Is it the school's job? How many parents don't teach their kids that? I, I look at you, right? But thanks to COVID, we finally started paying attention to what our kids were doing, which uh, was a big deal. Here's I, w- I want to go to this. I, before I get to your calls, and I will get to them ASAP, I promise. But there is a movement on TikTok with not, for not, to not pay your taxes. And it's, it's among Gen Z and millennials that they're going to go on a tax strike. So I want you, this is Curly Beauty. <laughs> on TikTok. And uh, so listen listen to how the thinking goes. And they're, they're going to really show us they're not going to pay their taxes. I'm not paying taxes in 2024. I have seen a lot of videos like this and I love, I absolutely love them. It's typically about our taxes and the student loans. And quite a while ago, I saw a creator on here say, realistically, if we were all to stop paying our tax- taxes, if we were all to stop paying our student loans, all of the banks across America would essentially fall. Which and I... even if it was just like maybe like four million of us, right? Like there are enough of us 
that could actively crash the banking system here in America. So beyond the flawed lot, quote unquote, logic doesn't make any sense because it wouldn't crash the banks. Uh, but apparently that's a good thing. They think that crashing the banking system is a good thing. I guess total anarchy. They have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Here's another one. This is third J, third J firm on TikTok. This one has a little bit of sense. Race, a little racist, but a little bit of sense in it. Girl, let's talk about this tax strike that's going around on TikTok, child. Now, I personally feel like the world will never get better as long as white men are running it, but that's just my personal opinion. But what I don't agree with is not paying your taxes to prove a point or to go on strike, because here's what's going to happen. So when you choose not to pay your taxes and you owe the IRS a substantial amount of money, they will do two of two things. (laughs) They're going to contact your employer and they're going to start garnishing your paychecks. They can do that. And then they're going to contact your bank and they're going to seize your bank account. So I need y'all to be a little bit more strategic about what y'all are trying to do. I think that y'all need to find another method. (laughs) So she's racist, but at least she understands how taxes work. Uh, But people paying taxes have no idea how they work. None whatsoever. All right, so we're talking about your calls. We're going to get to your calls right now, 866-408-7669, talking about what, what you've noticed with with your children, maybe your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, that kind of thing, who are in this age cohort where feelings are facts, and they spout off on things like taxes, and they have no idea what the heck, heck they're talking about. And if you challenge them, they melt down. They, they can't handle it. And it really has been indoctrination. And I'm curious if anybody sees it swinging the other way, because I do see it somewhat swing, starting to swing the other way. Let's start with Charles in Missouri. Charles, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you having me. Of course. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think, I think uh, I'm a, a retired school administrator, and um, you know, one of the things I've, I've seen over the years is, is that, uh, you know, as we think about educators in the Midwest, in the Beltway, uh, East Coast, West Coast, you know, I've worked all worked with uh, school leaders all across the country, and, and we, we talk a lot about the same things. But one of the things that I think that we have to be really careful of and when we, when we talk about our, our educators, we've got, we've got some great ones out there, and we do have some that uh, probably need to find a different line of work. But uh, at the same time, I think, I think it's from a political standpoint, we have to think about uh, the communities in which uh, you know, our educators come from. And, uh, you know, what, I, what I've seen is that um, in more, more liberal communities, uh, you'll have more liberal, liberal educators working in the schools. And, and you hope that they don't bring the politics to the classroom, but sometimes they do. Um, in more conservative communities, you'll see more conservative teachers uh, in the classrooms because they're a re- really a reflection of their communities. And, um, and so, you know, and sometimes you'll have conservative teachers teaching politics in the classroom and, and bring their personal beliefs to the classroom. So I, I think you see a little bit of that both ways. But, but there's certainly a lot of challenges, I think, in, in, in terms of uh, what, what educators see across the country. I know I've seen over the last uh, 20, 25 years just, just be more and more um, being put on educators um, um, that, um, that don't really, you know, things that don't really belong in the classroom um, and getting, having to get away from reading, writing, and math uh, mandates that come down um, uh, from the federal level that, that, you know, trickle right on down to the states and then to the local uh, municipalities. And it makes it a real challenge, I think, for educators to stay focused on on the on the work. So I think I think we've diluted um, our education system to a large degree simply due to, to federal and state policies that have come down over the years in reaction to 
to uh, maybe made the issue of the day. Um, and I think it, it varies, again, from community to community, state to state, based yeah. on the politics um, of the communities. So, so I will agree with you. First of all, teachers are like any other profession. Some are good, some are bad, right? Some are mediocre, some slide by, whatever it happens to be. It's the luck of the draw, the class that your kid gets into. So I get it. It's like doctors. Some are really great. Others, eh, not so much, right? Uh, the difference is you can sue doctors if you don't like them. You can't sue teachers. But I, I think that um, the, the whole idea of politics in school is new. And you're right. It goes both ways. I, I can see that. But I, I never knew the political party of any of my teachers. I never knew if they were gay, straight or otherwise. I never knew. I never knew they had a life outside. Like if you saw a teacher outside of school, you're like, what? I thought they just put them in a closet at school. And like the idea of them having a life never occurred to us. That has changed. Now we have to know everything about their lives. That I think needs to be walked back. That's one thing. The other thing is you're right. We are tasking them with too many things that they have to teach our children, things that are that parents should be teaching their children, like finances, right? My, my parents taught us all about finances. We had to get jobs. You had to learn about it. My parents made me open a bank account. They took me to the bank, and I had to learn about putting my money in the bank and how much of my money had to go in the bank first. And then, you know, all, all of that stuff and budgeting my money and all that was all taught at home. That's not something I think teachers should be doing. Teachers should be doing the basics, and then it needs to be reinforced at home. Too much, 100% agree, is being taught for we want the teachers to do. So I think that's a great point, Charles. Thank you for making it, and people have to realize it. They're your kids. Ultimately, you raise them. The teacher, we send them to school for the teachers to educate them, you know, the basics. But it's up to you as parents to then look, you know, know what your kids are learning in school. Again, this is something that I think COVID gave us, that parents started to pay attention to what their kids are learning in school. Because you may find out, oh, I don't like what my kids are learning in school. Ah, who knew? And that's what a lot of us found out. Let's go to Tom in Virginia Beach. Tom, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Yeah, hi, Mary. Uh, going along with what you were just talking about, Maybe that's the weak point. Maybe we attack through these teachers who are cowardly and allowing this to happen, who may feel like us but are protecting their job or their tenure or their retirement, whatever you want to call it. And maybe that's the weak point. Maybe we go at them because a lot of those teachers have to feel the same way. They can't all be cowards. But it's, you know, I get that that's really hard to do. If you're in the minority somewhere, especially if you live in a very, you know, a blue state, a blue area where the teachers unions are super strong. Uh, I know some that have just retired. They just retire early. They're like, I'm out. They, they just don't want to do it. Teaching's hard. Kids are undisciplined. Parents don't discipline their kids. Now suddenly up to the schools to do that. You know, kids are bully. It's up to the school to handle instead of the parents. So, so things have changed a lot in basically a generation and a half. And, and it's been totally upended. I think it's hard, though, to expect them to, to do that. I don't, I don't know if you can, I don't, I don't know. You know, some people like, it's not worth my job. I got to feed my family. I can't lose my job. I don't want to be, be run out of, out of a tenured position because of this. So they're quiet and I kind of get it. But what about, we have a teacher meet and greet, you know, I have grandchildren now, but I have three kids also who went to school. You know, they want to tell us all about what they find out about our children. We need to find out about them. I will say to you, the ones who are super liberal, you probably already know. 
they're the ones who are telling their kids, telling your kids about their pronouns, right? They're the ones who, and, and just look for the, the purple hair or the green hair or anything along those lines. And that's, that's your tell right there. That it's like how they mark themselves in the wild is, is the, is the different hair color. But I think, I would think that the ones who are very liberal, you probably already know about, but I don't think there's anything wrong with asking a teacher certain questions. If they want to know everything about your kids, I kind of want to know who's teaching my kids. I think a lot of teachers would welcome that. I think it's not a bad idea. Tom, thank you so much. Have a wonderful uh, new year. Hope 2024 brings you um, a lot of good stuff. All right, more of your calls coming up. 866-408-7669 is my number. 866-408-7669. You can find me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. If you have a hard time finding me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio, if you would just give us a call and let me know that, that would be great. I'm doing a little experiment because people say they can't find me. So if you're not following me, and you go to follow me, and you can't find me, I would like to know that. All right? So your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. So we're talking about Gen Z and millennials. Um, Gen Z calling for a tax strike because they know nothing about how the tax system works. We're going to crash the banks. Like, okay, no, you're not. Number one. Number two, the taxes come out of your paycheck. So uh, not quite sure how you're going to stop that. And if you don't pay what you owe, they're just going to come and take everything you have. Uh, But a lot of them feel like, well, I don't have anything. Come and take it. Uh, Not paying back 40% of those who um, owe on their student loans and we're supposed to start paying them back starting in October aren't paying them back. They're just not paying them back. I want to go to this. This is um, cut 20. This is uh, a young woman uh, and she is 38 years old. Her name is Melissa Persling and she uh, was on with Fox news and she wrote an article. She wrote an essay, which is what landed her on Fox. And she's, she re- feels she represents the average 30-something woman in America today. And she feels that culture has failed her. Listen to wh- where, why she feels really failed by American culture. I wrote a lot of that article, like, truly scared. Like, I really did think, like, wow, you've missed your opportunity. Like, you are going to be alone you're not going to have a family. Like I got all these horrible comments from men telling me I had missed my chance and that I, you know, had was a stupid feminist who was focused on myself, which I thought was interesting. Cause like I said, I don't consider myself a feminist at all. I mean, for me, it's definitely started to feel hollow and meaningless. And, you know, it's taken me to this point in my life to realize if I thought I, would spend the rest of my life alone. If I didn't think that I would get married and have children, I would be devastated. She basically says that feminism, the idea of feminism, uh, has failed her. And she wrote that for decades, our culture has failed women by spreading falsehood after falsehood about men, marriage, motherhood, and career. It's been a slowly daily drip of you go girl messages specifically designed to delete men and babies from life's equation. And it has wreaked havoc on women's lives. And there are a lot of women, listen, there there are a lot of women out there who are well-educated, have high-powered jobs, making a ton of money, doing very well for themselves, and they can't find a boyfriend to, to, they can't find a mate. 
because a lot of our young men on the flip side feel that they've been left behind. We've kind of left them behind and they don't want to marry a woman who makes more money than them. A lot of the women don't want to marry a guy who makes less money than them. And so you just have a generation where they're just not getting married. Uh, and, and because they don't know what their roles are. There's, a, there, there's such a thing as a role, you know, a life, you can have a role in a relationship and they, they threw away the traditional roles. And I'm not saying if you get married, you have to have children or that kind of thing. But there's, I don't know, there was a certain reason why grandma and grandpa did it in the order they did and wound up being very happy um, and lived long, healthy lives, right? Long lives together. 866-408-7669. So talking about all the ways in which we have failed Gen Z and millennials. And I, and I look at their parents. We're the ones who failed them. Uh, Catherine in Galveston, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Catherine, welcome. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a very interesting show. Thank you. I, uh, have so much to say. Um, you know, I uh, am not uh, a Gen Z or millennial. I'm Generation X. And um, I feel like uh, a lot of these things that the millennials and uh, Generation um, Z are doing, it's uh, about time. It's about time. You know, and I feel like every generation looks at the uh, their children and thinks that they're a little crazy. I, you know, I, I saw right. historically yeah. my generation is but you know, I, I think that um, with the education system, you're you're focusing on the teachers, and I think teachers, uh, just like anybody else, need to keep their job for their family. And sure. you're forgetting that they have absolutely no support, none, right, from the administration. And you're right; we're looking into every aspect of their lives, and they're human, you know. And um, I don't think the people that I work with know what my political affiliation is, and I never knew what my teacher's pol- political right. affiliation is. And I don't think you should look at someone's political affiliation and decide that they can't teach your kid. You know, there's there's a place for your personal life and a place for your professional life. And I, I don't think it's fair to say if you don't have a professional a personal life that I like, you can't you can't do your profession. Um, you know, that I, I agree. That- Listen, I, I, I agree with you there. I, I will agree with you there. But I think, at least I can't speak for the caller, but what I was saying, you know, he, he was advocating, you know, finding out about their lives. I think, though, that if, you're, if your teacher, if the, your kid's teacher is talking about politics in the classroom and, prof- and professing their political beliefs and trying to put that onto your kids, that to me is a problem. And I think parents do have the right to know if that's happening. I agree. I agree with that. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that also as far as the feminism goes with women going back to work, etc., you know, it's a very complicated issue. I mean, on the one hand, you know, men have obviously, like you said, been left behind if they're not willing to marry a woman who is as successful in their career as they are. But I think we're also looking at uh, the generations that are really being affected by their moms not being in the house. Yeah. My, my mother uh, did not work. But they, my parents never taught me about financing and budgeting, et cetera. Um, and uh, you're right. At some point, you have to say, this is a parent's responsibility, and this is the school's responsibility. And I'm not sure it's been well-defined. No, I agree with you. We've expected teachers to teach our kids everything, and that's not fair. You're, they only have them for so many hours a day. And they should, you know, have the set curriculum, and that set curriculum should be reading, writing, arithmetic, the basics, science, etc., and all this other stuff, gender, sexuality, all that stuff goes with the home. I'm sorry. we got to take it back. It's got to go back. Catherine, well said. Thank you so much for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. I get to be with you tomorrow as well. Very excited about that. We're going to get to your calls coming up in the show, 866-408-7669. I want to start this hour, though, with Yuval David. He is an Emmy Award-winning actor, host, director, filmmaker. He's won over 100 International Film Festival Awards. You can follow him on Twitter at Yuval, Y-U-V-A-L, David. Uh, and, and right now he is in Israel and we're going to go to him, but I just want to play this one piece. This is Benjamin Netanyahu and talking about the war with Hamas and Israel's stance. We are not stopping. Whoever talks about stopping, there is no such thing. We are not stopping. The war will continue until the end. Yeah, Israel is not going to stop. So Joe Biden, anybody can say, yeah, we really need you to do a little bit of a slowdown. It's an election year. No, they made it quite clear that's not going to happen. So let's see what's happening on the ground in Israel. Yuval, thank you for joining us. Thank you for so much for having me on your show. It's great to uh, to speak with you and to hear your voice, Mary. Oh, you're so sweet. He, he, I, I, of course, we pray for Israel in, in church every week. We're always praying for you. It, there's what really bothers me in this country. And I want to start off with this is, and I, and I, I want to get the Israeli perspective on this. The split in America generation wise, whereas our younger generation is out in, in full protesting against Israel and in favor of Hamas, a, a designated terrorist organization. How is that viewed from Israel? It is viewed, oftentimes I hear people say, chickens for KFC. It yes. doesn't make sense. It, uh, anybody who's a true civil rights, social justice, and human rights activist needs to focus on the values and what has has been proven as that people are practicing a double standard when it comes to the jewish people and to israel so what i try to do and suggesting all of these other people who are activists including politicians and organizations is to focus on the values speak to the value first not the issue first frame the choice that you have on the value Seize the pro side of the argument. Use your vocabulary and not theirs. And then you can talk about the actual issues. So if somebody does believe in women's rights, LGBTQ rights, uh, democracy, free elections, uh, freedom of religion, then they need to be able to be on the right side of history. We're seeing people who are on the wrong side of history. I, it's interesting that you said use their, use your language, not theirs. That is something that the left is so adept at, and I've been saying this for such a long time. They frame the argument. They take control of language. They determine which words we are allowed and not allowed to use and which groups are allowed to use them and which groups aren't allowed to use. And the right always falls into that. Right. Especially when you hear it when it comes to gender and other things, you know, other other areas, they, they're really good at controlling that. And with that, they control the message because they control the language. But I guess my question, what I don't understand is there's a I mean, disconnect. I, I also have an argument to that. Uh, Go ahead. Do, do they control it? 
I mean, are they controlling it for themselves? Or do we have the control of our own vocabulary? We don't have to accept our opponent's underlying premise as valid. We need to focus sure. on what we believe in and use the language the way we wish to use it. We cannot let them occupy, and, and I hate doing us-them arguments. I much prefer the us-we arguments. But people have occupied the word occupation, apartheid, white supremacy, uh, they're trying to shoehorn issues that do not fit the Arab-Israeli situation and the multiple Arab-Israeli wars that have existed. They're trying to shoehorn issues that pertain to completely different communities, completely different histories, and then make an opinion on what is happening in Israel. So I hear what you're saying, but I want to empower you because mm -hmm. you are a person who uses strong language. You own your language. I mean, own it, girl, right? <laughs> like you, you, that's what we have to think about and not let them feel that they have control over our freedom of speech. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. Excellent point. So you're very involved in Hollywood. You are an actor. You were on the TV series Madam Secretary um, and, and so many other things. You director, producer. So you're in the heart of absolute liberal America. And that's where a lot of this pollution comes from when it comes to the anti-Semitism and the rise of anti-Semitism in this country. Has this something that you've always seen being in that liberal cesspool or is this something that is shocking to you with what happened on January, uh, excuse me, October 7th that just has kind of laid bare? Yeah. I mean, I even heard your flub talking about January, right? <laughs> um, it's, is it a liberal cesspool? I wouldn't call it a liberal cesspool. I am part of the liberal progressive and LGBTQ communities yet there are horrible factions that for some reason are getting too many microphones, too many spotlights, and people are talking about them too much. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I'm a true liberal. I'm a true progressive. And there are many people who I call faux-gressives or regressives. Because if you truly are an inclusion activist, that means you must include everybody. If you do believe in the power of the narrative and people having their own identity and the right to their identity, then that means that they need to respect that I have my own identity. We're seeing people who are being completely hypocritical. Yes, it's existed, continues to exist, and continues to proliferate within liberal, progressive, left-leaning Hollywood communities, LGBTQ communities, all of which I am a proud member of, and I find it so disappointing, disheartening, disgusting, undemocratic, and un-American, and un-LGBTQ, and not progressive, and I will call them out, calling out BS when they say things that are completely against the values that they claim to fight for. Yeah, it is it is to me a split in the you see in the Democrat Party uh, when you have people like John Fetterman who will walk right past a Hamas protest protesters draped in the Israeli flag. That's that is like varsity trolling. I love it. I think it's wonderful because it. it breaks their little brains. It's fantastic. And you know what? And And there are many people within. Like I said, the LGBTQ liberal progressive communities that find themselves confused and troubled by my sheer existence. Nobody can take my identity away. I am who I am. And I know so many other people who are LGBTQ liberal 
left-leaning progressive people who are proud Zionists because they believe in the self-actualization of the Jewish people. Now, Zionists don't only need to be Jewish people. Zionists can and there can be, and there are many Zionists who are Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Baha'i, Buddhist, Druze, uh, Bedouin. There are so many people who believe that the Jews have a right to live their life uh, and to have socio-political representation with a connection to their ancestral homeland. Anybody who believes in indigenous rights should be a Zionist. The vast majority of Jewish people on the planet are Zionists because they believe that they themselves, their family, their friends have a right to life. But we are seeing language being used against us. We're seeing people try to take over and change narratives. It is up to us to not let that hate speech take over who we are, and we need to flood it with more speech. Agree. More speech is always better. Uh, exchange of ideas is always better. Uh, instead of shutting down totally. ideas, questioning and learning is always better than, you know, shutting all of that down. Before we, we run out of time here, I just want to find out what it is like in Israel now. What is life wow. like there now? I mean, as, a, as an American Jew... Uh, actually, I'm an Israeli Jew as well. I have dual citizenship. Since October 7th, I've been living as an American Jew in America with massive anxiety. I feel like two-thirds of my friends are gone because they sided with with just things that are so wrong, supporting Hamas, uh, being anti-Israel, being anti-Semitic, and it's horrifying. And that is a common narrative, a common story mm. that many Jews in America are sharing. So for all of your listeners, if you have not yet called your Jewish friends, your Jewish family, reach out and touch someone like whatever that AT&T commercial used to be. Yes. Make sure you call them because we're feeling alone and vulnerable. When I came to Israel, my anxiety was gone. I'm around people who are grieving together, mourning mm-hmm. together. Uh, and it's this incredible feeling of, of belonging. We need that in America. Jews are an essential part of the fabric of what it is to be American. And it's, it's just totally shameful that so many American Jews are struggling and feeling afraid. We have security outside of synagogues, Jewish schools, Jewish yeah. business owners are taking the signs off of their buildings to protect themselves and their employees. Jews are afraid in the U.S. Anti-Semitism isn't on the rise. It's already risen in Israel. Look, I I was reporting live on the news, and all of a sudden there were sirens, and we all had to run into shelter. And it was just as I looked on my social media, as people were saying, oh, ceasefire now, have a ceasefire. How do you have a ceasefire with a terrorist entity that wants you dead? Um, Are we supposed to put our guns down and our weapons down and not fight back? It makes no sense. So Israel is fighting for its existence and for the existence of Israel and the Jewish people. So it's intense, a lot of hugs, tears, but a lot of solidarity, and it's beautiful. I, I, I'm so glad that I got to speak with you. It is such an honor that you, that I've had this opportunity, that our listeners have this opportunity because we're so far away. We are so far removed from it. I can't imagine what it is like to live like that every single day with sirens going off and what that does to your psyche and what a toll it takes on your mental health. But, uh, the Israeli people are very, very strong. My money's on them in any war. My money is always going to be on Israel, an incredible military. 
and they are fighting for their existence as they do so often, as they have been forced to do for so often, which I, I the, the lack of education of our younger Americans to me is the next thing when this is over that we need to address and we need to right that wrong. It has to be done. Uh, Yuval David, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. Your voice needs to be heard. And we really appreciate your time. I appreciate yours and I endless thanks go to you. I'm honored to be on your show and thank you for sharing information and helping educate our people towards greater action. Absolutely. God bless you. And may better times come in 2024. You can find him on Twitter at Yuval David, Y-U-V-A-L-D-A-V-I-D. Your call's coming up, 866-408-7669. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Yo, I'm here in Tel Aviv, Israel. I just sat through that 47 minutes of footage from October 7th. It is a massacre. It's a bloodbath. I'm glad I saw it. There's a lot of screaming, yelling terrorists saying Allah Wakbar. There's a scene where the guy's calling his father and his mom bragging about the 10 Jews that he killed with his bare hands. There's a lot of dead people. There's a lot of referring to Jewish people as dogs. There's a lot of screaming, a lot of cheering. That is actor Michael Rappaport. Uh, And, you know, he, I think seeing that video that so many people have seen, I could not sit through it. I don't want to see it. I, I don't need to see it. Um, it's the 45 minutes, 46 minutes taken from the, um, the cameras that the Hamas assassins had on them. Um, when the, after they were killed by the Israeli soldiers, they, they got these videos off of their, their body cams and they put together this video for all the people who are out there saying that none of this happened. And of course, those who don't want to believe will still deny it and say that, oh no, that was just made up. But Someone like Michael Rappaport, you probably didn't even know it was him because he wasn't screaming like a crazy person and frothing at the mouth the way he does on Twitter because he hates Donald Trump so much. But this is a very sobering moment because, and not to make it all political, but you have the far left, which is very pro-Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. And now you're seeing that split there. Where people who normally would be on your side in Hollywood, like a Michael Rappaport, is looking at Joe Biden going, wait a minute, hold on, what's happening here? I very quickly just want to go to um, cut seven. This is Susan Sarandon. And and then we'll jump to uh, cut eight if we have time with Cynthia Nixon. So these are, again, some of Michael Rappaport's tribe in the sense of there are the Hollywood elites. So here's Susan Sarandon, who, by the way, got slapped down, remember, because she was taught she was speaking pro um, pro Hamas. She's kind of kind of honed her message just a little bit. You don't have to be Palestinian to stand with the Palestinian people. You do not have to be Palestinian to understand that the slaughter of almost 5,000 children is unacceptable and a war crime. 
Yeah, she didn't mention the, the Israeli children. And remember, there was peace in October in Israel, between Israel and Palestine, uh, the Palestinians, between uh, Israel and Hamas, until Hamas decided to break that ceasefire. Here's one more. Cynthia Nixon, she's on The View. Cynthia Nixon with the Yapping Ants is on The View. And it's sad because I really, really like her in uh, The Gilded Age, Cynthia Nixon. I may have to stop watching. Here she goes. We have seen the deaths of over 16,000 civilians, Palestinians in Gaza, which include over 7,000 children. And to put that in some kind of a context, that is more civilians than were killed by the U.S. and its allies in almost 20 years of war in Afghanistan. And the images coming out of Gaza, the children who are who have no water, who have no food, who have no homes, who have no um, shelter of any kind, weeping over the um, the bodies of their slain parents. Yeah, she's right for propaganda. Let me tell you, uh, she she never this this generation would never have survived World War Two because they're just going by numbers by body count, and you're either an oppressor or a victim. And in their world, the Palestinians are the oppressed, and Israel is the oppressor because the Israelis appear white, they're lighter skinned, and so therefore they're the they're in the wrong. They know nothing about history. They know nothing about, you know, a religion, et cetera. They know nothing about what they're defending. They don't, they refuse to acknowledge, as our guest Duval David said, you know, being gay and being pro-Hamas is like, you know, being chickens for Chick-fil-A, you know, cows, cows for Whataburger, you know, it's, it's ridiculous because they would kill you in a heartbeat if you're gay. You're not allowed to exist. These these women. Oh, it's it's just crazy. All right, we've got more coming up. I'm going to get more of your calls on this eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine, and I'll open it up to to a lot of things that we've talked about here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, and I'm with you tomorrow as well. I'm looking forward to that. If you'd like to join me, 866-408-7669 is my number. Also, I do have a podcast. It's on Tuesday nights. I don't think we're doing one tonight for obvious reasons, Um, but... uh, we, I do have a podcast. It's on Tuesday, 7.15 Eastern Time. It is live on YouTube and Getter. Just look for Mary Walter Radio. And you can participate. You can leave comments, questions, etc. And then uh, the audio is up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify later on, about an hour after the show. I, I get it up there. So uh, normally it would be tonight, but I think tonight and next week, Due to the timing, we probably will not have um, podcasts, but you can still go check the other ones out. All sorts of guests, all different guests, sometimes no guests. We talk about politics, everything. So Al- Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, one of our guests recently, and, and he's co-hosted with me. So please check that out. All right. 866-408-7669 is my number. We've talked about a lot, especially about um, Gen Z and millennials. And some of the things that um, they're dealing with, and I think 
as they get older, they start to come to the realization that maybe some of the things that I was taught as even as a young child, maybe not so true. We talked about young women waking up and saying, wait a minute, this feminism stuff that I was taught that I can have it all, that didn't work out. And now I'm 38 years old and I'm alone and I'm starting to realize I'm never going to have a family. And I've always wanted a family, but I was told that I don't need that. And, and they're unhappy, deeply unhappy. You have, uh, you have them, the uh, college age kids or kids who were out of college just recently. So I guess that would be Gen Z, Gen, Gen X, whichever. I can't get them straight. But they've chosen just not to repay their loans, 40% of them. And they don't think it's a big deal because I'm never going to be able to buy a house anyway. It's so expensive. So they don't care about ruining their credit because I'm never going to have a house. Who cares? And, and, and you're out of college and that's the life lesson you took out of college. It's one of the life lessons you got is you're never going to be able to own a home. So don't pay your loan back. I don't know. Things could change the stock, you know, the housing market could crash and homes could become very affordable and you're not going to be able to buy one because you wrecked your credit. This idea of you took the loan out, you have the responsibility to payment just doesn't register. Uh, we've been talking about Israel as well. We've been talking, we, t- we touched on the 2024 race. You have the GOP drafting bills to remove Biden now from ballots in Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania. Uh, you've got Gavin Newsom saying, no, we should, we should beat him at the ballot box. This is wrong. Interesting to see where that goes. I'm waiting for the Supreme Court. Surprised they have not come down with a ruling on this. I'm waiting for it. We should hear from them soon, but so far, nothing. 866-408-7669 if you'd like to join us. Let's go to Virginia. And, John, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, John. Uh, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So which topic did you want to discuss? Um, Israel. Okay, and, well, just how things have gone in, in this country. Um, I'm a U.S. Navy veteran. Uh, I served in the early 80s. Uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, and I live in Virginia now. But uh, when I was in eighth grade, I uh, went on a class trip and took three pictures. One was of the World Trade Centers, the Twin Towers, and another one was of the Statue of Liberty, and another one was of the Statue of Liberty with the Twin Towers behind it, something mm-hmm. that no one will ever, ever be able to see again. Right. Uh, six years later, I'm in the Navy. Uh, 1983, this is before the Marine Barracks is blown up. I'm on the USS Eisenhower. Guess where they're at right now. Um, and we pull into Haifa, Israel, and we take a, me and another sailor take a train ride to Jerusalem. And on the train ride, we meet a lady and another gentleman and who are traveling separately and 10 IDF soldiers. Uh, who are fully armed with automatic weapons, M-16s, something we had never seen in this country before. Mm -hmm. And so when we got off the train in Jerusalem, uh, this other sailor and I had a picture taken with the IDF soldiers on the Jerusalem platform, and there are Jerusalem platform signs right above us, so you can see where we're at. Right. Um, I always said that if we start seeing fully armed, you know, with automatic weapons, policemen, whatever, in this country, we're doomed. Um, and now we have fully armed policemen, soldiers, mm-hmm. um, walking around our city streets, 
and you can't see the World Trade Centers anymore. They're gone. Right. So let me let me ask you when since you you've been in the military you have traveled around with the military by the way the sacrifices you have made I'm so grateful for because I know I never had the guts to do something like that so I truly appreciate people who have the guts to do something like that it's either in you or it's not and not in me but I'm so grateful for the people who do have it when you see what's happening when you see that uh, Iran now is is lobbing missiles at our soldiers we have three uh, service people who were hurt, one of them critically, in one of these attacks on Christmas Day. When you see that, I, I fear, and I don't have the knowledge you do, but I fear that this is going to blow up. This is, they're trying to drag us into a shooting war. And we've depleted a lot of our resources. We depleted our, our petroleum reserves. We depleted our ammo. We gave so much of it to, to Ukraine. So we've, we're, and our fighting force is at one of its lowest since what, 1940? I think something like that. So we, America is not at its strongest right now. So is this being done purposely and at this time? purposely because of Americans' weakened position? Um, I believe, yes, <laughs> all of the above. Um, my father was a veteran of World War II. Before the war, he was in the cavalry. He was still riding horses. My mother is a war bride from England. Uh, so, you know, serving is in the family. Uh, my brother was a Navy veteran. He served during Vietnam. Um, it's... What's happening to our military is it's and my sister and I had a conversation about this yesterday talking she lives in California, but um the military is not a social experiment right it's it's one of the most important parts of our of the United States without the military, the United States would not be what it is today. Now, you might not like that, but it's a fact. You know, right. we no, saved it, Europe in World War One. We saved Europe in World War II, um, for better or worse. Well, um, yes, but I don't know if we could do that again. And I think that that's a conversation that we should, should be having because I, I think some people want us to have a, a, a um, less strong military and others, you know, go, go in the other direction. And right now, I think Joe Biden doesn't want a super strong military for whatever reason. John, we got to run. It's been an interesting conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, all blessings in 2024. Thank you very much for, for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, let's quickly go to Mary Lee in Tulsa. Mary, you... You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hi, hi Mary. I'm calling about the student loans. <clears throat> I know one of my friends, uh, I guess it's, I shouldn't say, but it's her grandson. She got in, He got into dental school at BYU, and it was so, the loan was so lucrative, neither he or his wife worked the whole time he was in uh, dental school. Wow. Then, then after dental school, he got a job working for a dentist. I don't know. I may be in the, you know, Mormons or something. I don't know that. But he worked for the dentist, oh, two or three years. He's been down there about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So about eight or nine years ago, uh, he hasn't paid a dime to this day on his uh, loan. And wow. so he, evidently it didn't hurt his credit not to pay the loan because he's bought the dental firm out for way over a million, close to $2 million. 
and then he bought a house, had a beautiful swimming pool, and I think he drives a Lexus, takes cruises all the time. <clears throat> well, under the just li- recently under the Biden thing, you know, they were going to have to pay something, what, two or three months ago? Well, they lifted it, and he says he's not going to pay a penny until they get him. And uh, there's people all over the place that are not paying the long that are making great salaries, but they never do a thing with them. It's interesting. Hey, Mary, you might know, dentists make more than doctors now. Yes, I know. My husband uh, worked 13 hours on Christmas Eve. I know. Uh, and the dentist was closed. So, yeah, so I, I, I know that. And we know, my vet, my husband also likes to tell us that he, our vet makes more money than he does as well. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's that. That's why, that's why American kids don't go into being doctors. They're all foreign born now because you just don't make the money. Uh, very interesting. Uh, his, I don't know what his thought process is. I'm not going to pay till they come after me. Um, you know, but let's see. It's going to be a gamble. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's a very entitled attitude. That's all I can say. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Mary Lee. I appreciate it. Have a, and all the best to you in 2024. 866-408-7669 is my number. And we're going to take some more of your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, getting to your calls at 866-408-7669. Talked a lot uh, during the show about uh, kind of like a generation gap, and we're seeing it really, really come to light with the Israel-Hamas war. And so many young people out there in full regalia, pro-Hamas, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's a terrorist organization, you might want to think, but they've been so indoctrinated into you're either a victim or you're an oppressor. That's it. And they have very, very nebulous, there's no thought process needed to decide which is which. Oh, you're white, you're an oppressor. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what happened to you. You're an oppressor. Oh, you're black, you're oppressed. It's a very racist construct that they have going on. And there's other things that come into play. They have special groups, you know, that, that, you know, depending on where you fall. And I guess there's a whole formula as to what makes you an oppressor or a victim. And a lot of it that goes into it is feelings and emotions. So you know where we wind up, where we are today. In Florida, Yuli, Florida, Roger, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. It's going to be soon to be afternoon. Hey, just uh, real quick, I'd like to, uh, on the subject of the Gen Zs, and it seems like there, there are a lot of them, and I'm glad to see some of them, as you were talking about, are turning, you know, their back on the, you know, the traditional way of believing everything that they hear in school. But the elites and the politicians for the last 50, 60 years have started to try to indoctrinate these kids. I mean, they started them in colleges. Berkeley, for example, was a, a great starting point. Then they got into the high school, from the colleges to the high school. To, now they're even into the middle schools and everything like that. Because the younger you, the, the quicker you can get to these kids and indoctrinate them, especially when they're young, their brains are sponges, and they, they tend to believe a lot of what their teachers and everything tell them. And, of course, with our, our teachers and everything in the school system now, 
I don't know what the percentage of them are just liberal, progressive liberals, which are quite a few, um, from the school board to the teaching, administration, all that stuff, as you know. And these kids are now becoming confused, and I don't blame it on the children. It's actually the education system, the politicians, and these elites, and they're, they're trying to get these kids to become submissive uh, to what they say and do what they want to do. I mean, you got a president for the last two or three years, and these kids believe it, that he's going to make them, you know, don't have to pay back their, their school loans. Uh, and I think that they really believe that, uh, which, well, you know, by well, that was just for votes. You know, they really don't care about these children mm-hmm. and everything like that. As far as the, um, you know, the, the, the kids and the division and the and the and um, what we're going through, uh, the sexism, you know, we had the inner cities where the fathers of black communities were torn apart. Back in the 70s and everything like that, in, in my opinion, I think a lot, a lot of the divorces in the suburbs with white families where a divorce went through, they always gave the children to the mother. They never gave them to the right. father. You see a little bit more of it now, yeah. but I think that was just a way of, of – you know, tearing the the nuclear family part in the white communities is by these liberal judges giving custody of the mother and taking the father out that way to keep their and you know so we're both parties or colors are being attacked but in just different ways then you've got obama came in and he allowed kids to stay in their parents insurance through the age of 26 well he was smart to do that because it was just another angle of an attack on our society and our and our financial because the more uh, longer a child stays at home up to age 26 they're not going to be going out there contributing to the world and economically so you know socially because they're living off their parents they're not buying houses as, as early as they could if they're staying home and living with their parents. Uh, there's just so many factors with that, uh, you know, in, in the complaint. I know I'm short on time, but um, I'd love to listen to you if you could, you know, um, offer any advice, not advice, but just no. to, to, to your thought on what I said, if there's, yeah. you know, um, in, in your directive. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to add on to it. So thank you so much, Roger. I'll let you listen. Thank you. And as is all the best in 2024. It's not just that what Roger was talking about. And it's also you have shows that, you know, parents put their kids in front of the TV, right? That's that's what you do. Kids have TVs in their rooms now. I don't think it's that smart. You want to make parenting a little easier. You don't have the TV in the room. But you have things like a show on Netflix called Coco Melon Lane. And there was an episode of that called Just Be Me. And it's a little boy who's uh, getting his picture taken with his dad's. And so he's taking it to try different costumes to wear. And, of course, he winds up wearing um, a tutu and dressing like and dancing like a ballerina. His parents are you, just be you. Now, I personally, one of my brothers loved running around the house in my mother's clothes. Like he had a little, he had a teddy bear, which my father was, was beyond upset about. He's got, the boy's got a teddy bear. And he liked to dress it and everything. My mother's like, let it play out. And of course it did. I was super, super tomboy. If I were a kid now, my parents would have taken me to have body parts, you know, cut off and, and transitioned me to being a boy because that's how badly I wanted to be a boy because I had brothers. All my cousins, I had my cousins, the vast majority except for one were boys, you know, like, so that's what I wanted to be a boy. But my parents like it had a play out. Sure enough, I grew out of it. So parents are upset about this. There is also another uh, show on Netflix called Ada Twist Scientist that is produced by the Obamas. It's one of their shows. And it is for preschoolers and children age three and up. And it's supposed to be a good way to get preschoolers interested in science and offers great representation with a black scientist as the lead. Well, they're under fire now 
because uh, the kids attend uh, a, a wedding between two gay men. The main characters in this are age seven, eight, nine, and 10. And what the, the show is about when a tornado touches down on the day of Sensei Dave's and Jiu-Jitsu Joe's wedding, the gang must think of a way for all of the guests to safely get together. I don't have a problem with necessarily that kind of representation. I, I just think it is such a small portion of the population that its representation should be appropriate to its percentage of the population, Right. I, I wouldn't want to raise my kids to think that it's not okay to love who you love. Like that, that's okay. But I think people are on such high alert with all of this now that any kind of mention of anything, you know, a gay wedding, a boy in a tutu, that kind of thing, they're seeing it as, oh my gosh, indoctrination. And they're flipping out. And I kind of get it. I kind of get it. So it's not just at the upper levels. It's younger as well. I am Mary Walter. I get to be back with you tomorrow, too. I'm so excited about that. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.